Morning everybody, my name is Rich, if we haven't met, and it's a pleasure to be with you continuing our Keep Going series today. I want to ask you this question to get us rolling. Do you know the call of God on your life? Do you know God's plan for your life, his purpose for your life, where he's wanting to take your life, who he's wanting you to be in your life, who he is causing you to become in your life? And whoever you are, whatever your age and stage, these are the questions that God wants to speak to you about from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 today. And that's you if you've had many years already lived following Jesus. God wants to speak to you afresh about your calling. That's for you if you're younger in your Christian faith, either because of your age or because of your stage. You've been walking with Jesus for just a few weeks, months or years. God would want to lift your gaze, lift your dreams, lift even your holy ambitions and aspirations for who he could make you to be. It's for you if you're uh, like me in your midlife of your Christianity, where it's not just a comment about age or, uh, or grey hairs, though those are a thing, um, but more a comment that you know you're not at the start of your Christian life yet, and yet you know there's a long, long way to go. And in that phase, just speaking really honestly, I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but that can be a time with some real disillusionment. It can be a time with some disappointment. It can be a time with some doubt, just like in the middle of any journey. And so if you're in that phase, God wants to speak to you this morning with fresh clarity and awaken fresh faith for who he has called you to be. And it is perhaps more than anyone for you if you're not a Christian this morning. If you're looking in, you've been watching some online stuff. It's wonderful to have you with us. I think God would want to whet your appetite today and again, get you dreaming and imagining who you could be in the hands of God. If you gave your life to him and you gave yourself over to following him, if you said yes to him, who you could become. See, what God wants to work in each and every one of us is the same miraculous thing that he worked in the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians were this new group of converts not too long before this letter was written. They were under pressure, just like you and I are. They had sins in their life in the past, just like you and I do. They had sins in their life in the present, just like you and I do. They have fears, they have struggles, they have difficulties, and yet God works in them a miracle. A, you would never have believed it, couldn't predict it, absolutely unexpected, phenomenal by the grace of God, miracle in the Thessalonian Christians. He makes them into something that they would never have dreamt they could be. And I believe God wants to tell you this morning that he can make you into something that you would never have dreamt that you could be. And here's what it is in verse seven. Paul says to them, you have become an example to all the believers. They have become exemplary, not perfect, Obviously not perfect, that's not what we're speaking about today. But nevertheless, they are exemplary. They are a template for the faithful Christian life. They are people who've been raised up so that when others look to them, they are inspired to kick on in their walks with God. They are examples. And whoever you are, whoever you think you are not, God's call on your life is to make you into the same, to make you exemplary in the church. It happened to the Thessalonians, so much so that Paul says in verse 8, the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia, for wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. 
Do you see the switch up that's happened? No longer are they getting inspired by other Christians merely, but they now are the inspiration to other Christians. And that is who God wants you to grow into. Now you might say, Rich, I'm not sure that that verse really applies to us. This verse is all about the Thessalonians and it's just describing what happens to them. You know, are you really saying we're all going to have a massive influence and reach through Macedonia and beyond? And you would be right, okay? It's not exactly replicable in our lives. But though the context is different, believe the call is exactly the same. We are each called as followers of Jesus to become examples to others. And though the size of this might be different and the scope might be different, the shape of the call is exactly the same. Jesus calls all of his followers to be examples. What does he say? You are the light of the world. So let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Now you might say, Rich, this might be for that other person watching the talk or that other person in the church, but it's not for me. And I know lots of you will be thinking that because for a long time I was stuck in that mentality as a Christian as well, where I thought the most I could be in God was a I squeezed in, I got saved just about and I'd sit there and I'd listen till heaven. And you know what? That is not God's plan for us. He wants to get into our lives and grow us and make things of us that we never thought would be possible. Now, how does this happen? OK, because some of us will feel like that's uh, a process that's a, a little bit uh, far off for us right now. Some of us would have little faith. We might be stuck uh, in, in unbelief around this because of our background or our temperament or things that we've done or things that have happened to us or whatever it might be. And so I want to show you for the rest of this talk the process that the Thessalonian Christians went through in order to become exemplary. And then right at the end, I want to show you three practices of exemplary Christians that we can seek to emulate and work into our lives as we want to grow in God. The process and then the practices. So firstly, what is the process? The first thing that happens for the Thessalonian Christians is that they move from being mere hearers of the good news to receivers of the good news. Verse five Paul and his friends started to tell them the message of the good news of Jesus. But then in verse six, something has happened. It says you received the message. They moved from being hearers to receivers. And you know the difference very well between those two things. If you've ever spoken to anyone, perhaps who's stuck in self-loathing, right? Not, not biblical humility. This is a million miles from that. This is self-loathing where they hate themselves even though God loves them and they, they can't see anything uh, worthwhile in them and they're just consumed by this sort of oppressive burden of self-loathing. If you've ever met anybody like that and you've come to them and you've got down there with them and you've sought to look them in the eye and speak some encouragement to them and speak some truth, you know that very often someone in that situation can hear your words but they can't receive them. You see the difference? It's like the words don't get into them and make a difference. And Paul is saying that that's the kind of thing that happened with the Thessalonian Christians, that they were hearing it, but then they received it. Then it got through to them. Then it got into their hearts, souls and their lives and began to make a difference. Verse five describes that it landed not just as words, but with power from the Holy Spirit so that the words began to make an impact. What about you? I want to ask you, are you a hearer of the good news of Jesus or are you a receiver of the good news of Jesus? And how would you know? Well, Paul quickly points to three tests, three things that he sees in the Thessalonians that prove that they truly received the word in their innermost being. 
Firstly, they received it as true. Verse five says the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that what we said was true. It wasn't that they tuned into the online service for a little religious pick-me-up. They've became convicted and deeply convinced that the things that they were hearing about Jesus were not simply nice, but were true, were worth building their lives on. What about you? The second thing, they received it with joy. Verse 6 says, you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit. There was a gladness when the Thessalonian Christians heard about Jesus. There was a, a pleasure as they became Christians. They were happy to be Christians. They weren't resentful to be Christians. They were filled with joy because of Jesus. And what about you? You do not have to be an extrovert or smiley, happy people all the time. You can be full of sorrow at the very same time, just like Jesus was and the Apostle Paul was and many true followers of Jesus today. But do you know what? Being a Christian is about seeing the good news as being good. <laughs> it has to produce joy in you. You have to be glad at what God has done in rescuing you. I want to ask you, is that true for you? Is that regularly true for you? third test they received the good news even though it cost them verse 6 says you received it in spite of the severe suffering it brought you I love that from Paul that thrown in as a little Brucey bonus along with the gospel is this other thing that you get severe suffering now the word there is better translated pressure it's the idea of being a, a grape put into a wine press that's what the word was used for mostly and I think that's definitely true you come to know Jesus there are new pressures on you the pressure of persecution in some situations, the pressure uh, of repenting of new sins you discover in yourself, the pressure that comes from just being the anomaly in most social settings for whatever reason. But you know what? You receive it anyway because it is true and Jesus brings us joy. Some of you have never moved from hearer to receiver. And some of you have, but you've slipped back into being the sort of person who the gospel just bounces off you. And I want to urge you, if that's you, become someone again who lets the gospel get into you, who lets it change you from the inside out. That's step one of the process towards being exemplary. But the second stage was that they moved from being receivers to imitators. Verse six says, you imitated both us and the Lord. How did these Christians grow? How did they not stay as infants, but kicked on to become exemplary? Well, with the gospel in them, they looked at Paul and his friends and ultimately Jesus and they copied them. That's what that means. And for you to grow into someone who inspires faith in the people of God, for you to become more and more someone who is an example, you need to do the same. You need to imitate ultimately Jesus, of course, ultimately Jesus, because Whoever you follow in the Christian life will have blind spots and weaknesses and will fall short in a number of ways. And so ultimately, our great example is the Lord Jesus and we look to him. But you also need, according to Paul, dozens and dozens of people around you who model to you the faithful Christian life. And then you copy them. Now, there's a few wrong ways that we could understand this whole idea of imitating others. I just want to address those for a few moments. Firstly, we could think that to copy or imitate others is a call for all of us to be exactly the same in our 
expressions of Christianity and in our cultural expressions, perhaps particularly. The idea that we've got to have a, a cookie cutter of some Christian and then we all have to replicate their mannerisms and the way that they live their life exactly. And we all have to become the same class as them, the same race as them, the same cultural expressions as them. And that is not the heart of this at all. We don't all copy in the sense that we all become outwardly exactly the same. Jesus' heart for his church is of a diverse body where we each have different gifts and different contributions and different expressions and together we are the beautiful bride of Jesus. Another misstep would be to think we're to copy someone's calling or gifting. Like they're a big name preacher on the internet and so I'm going to copy them and I want to be a big name preacher on the internet and I want to go after their reach and their influence and I'm going to start even copying their mannerisms and their phrases because if I can copy them then maybe I can become them. And to that I would say that we're to imitate people not so much in their calling or their gifting but their character. That's what this is about. See gifting is good but gifting is God's to give and we're each given different gifts and different measures of those gifts. And so if I was to try and chase someone else's gifting and someone else's measure of their gifting, and that's what I was to try and live as a model for my Christian life, it could just become really exhausting. And worse than that, you could end up in an awful lot of hypocrisy where you're trying to copy the outward gifting of someone and, and speak like them or talk like them or act like them, but actually you haven't got the hard-worn character underneath to sustain it. And so this is not about uh, cookie cutter clones culturally, and it's not about copying gifting. It is about emulating character, relational conduct, heart posture, godliness in real life. Seeing someone who faithfully follows Jesus and saying, I want to be like that too. I'm going to live like they do. So I want to ask you, who are you imitating? Who are you looking to as a model for your life? Put another way, this is not a question just for kids, but who do you want to be like when you grow up? <laughs> That's a question for every Christian. And then start to live like they do. Then this amazing thing happens. By the grace of God, not over days and weeks, but over months and years, you move from being merely an imitator to an example. That is what God has got for us. Verse 7, Paul says to the Thessalonians, As a result, you have become an example. Don't you want that said of you more and more? Don't you believe that could be said of you? Don't you want to long for that? Don't you want to seek for that? What a privilege, what a miracle, something to work towards and, and live towards in your life. And before we're done, I want to just show you quickly what that would look like. We've seen the process from hearers to receivers, from receivers to imitators and imitators to examples. But what is an example in the Christian life? What does that look like? And Paul quickly shows us three things that the Thessalonian Christians live out, which we are to emulate. Firstly, they're exemplary in their welcoming. Verse 9 says they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us. Part of their example is that when Paul and his friends arrived, they didn't turn them away. They didn't close their heart to them. Rather, they opened up their community and they received them in and they welcomed them. It's a similar language to the language we've already heard of receiving the gospel. They received Paul and his friends. 
And this is the true definition of hospitality. Hospitality is not about who can cook the best three course meals, though those are great. It's about an attitude where you open up and you welcome others in. The word hospitality is linked to the word hospital. It's this idea of, of being a place where people can come, whoever they are, whatever's going on, wherever they're from, and they can receive safety and refuge and healing with you. And that's what exemplary Christians are like. I want to ask you, are you like that? Do you close up and shut others out? Or on a Zoom call when someone's a bit left out, do you open up and welcome them in? When someone's hurting, do you walk towards them and show them that they can have a place in the church community nevertheless? Do you welcome? And that's what exemplary Christians do. And then the Thessalonians were exemplary in their repentance. Verse 9 says, How you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. That's what repentance is. It's turning away from places that we've been looking for our significance, our satisfaction and our security and stopping worshipping those things and instead worshipping Jesus. It's not merely feeling sorry for sin or uh, feeling bad about it. It's turning decisively, rooting it out and bit by bit, yes, and with a struggle, yes, growing in your godliness. Do you do that? Do you have that lifestyle? That helps us because uh, exemplary Christians are not perfect. They're not trying to reach perfection, but they are repentant. And I found that to be a helpful thing when I was thinking about becoming an elder in Church Central South. I've been invited to consider that. I found that to be a cripplingly high thing and I was very intimidated by that calling. I thought, I'm not perfect. I've got real life sin in my life. I've got real struggles. I've got emotional fragility. I'm not sure that I'm up to the measure of that. And though it is an incredibly high calling, I was helped by remembering that I'm not called to be perfect, but I am called to be exemplary in my repentance, in acknowledging sin, in admitting sin, in confessing sin, and then in rooting sin out and turning from it. And that is what we're each called to as we grow in the Christian life. Not perfection, but repentance. And then thirdly, the Thessalonians are praised for how they were exemplary in their waiting. Verse 10 says, they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's son from heaven. Or the ESV puts it more accurately when it says, how you wait for his son from heaven. This speaks of someone who has hope, definitely. Someone who's not crushed today because we have certain hope of a bright future. But more than that, I think it speaks of patience, of waiting well of not anxiously desperately trying to make this life be everything we've ever wanted it to be but rather knowing that when Jesus returns that is when all our desires will truly be met and until then we wait patiently so an exemplary Christian doesn't chase glory and status now because Jesus is coming back and all our petty claims for attention will be swallowed up in finding ourselves in our father's house forever an exemplary Christian doesn't cling to their money or their possessions because Jesus is coming back and will inherit the cosmos so we can give our money and our stuff away. An exemplary Christian doesn't sell their soul and destroy their faith for the momentary shadows of sexual pleasure in the short term because Jesus is coming back and the fountain of all joy and the creator of all pleasure will be ours for eternity and so we wait well. An exemplary Christian doesn't insist on full healing now 
Otherwise they walk away because Jesus is coming back. And we know that any healing that's still left to happen will happen as we inherit our new bodies forever. The exemplary Thessalonians welcomed, repented and waited. And as you and I, weak as we are, seek to receive the good news of Jesus into our very souls and live it out. As we seek to emulate those in the faith who embody these principles, then by the grace of God, against all the odds, even people like you and even people like me can be used by God to be examples to others, to inspire faith in others in the church. I want to ask you and invite you to never settle for anything less. So whatever reason you discount yourself, don't. Believe that God can do it and give yourself again to growing through this process over weeks, months and years to becoming more and more an example in God's people. You were made for it. Don't settle for anything less. You were destined to be exemplary. I'm going to leave you with a few reflection questions. Thanks for listening.